If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 489. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, McClanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to McClanahan Academy, enrolling for free, getting the free class, 10 Myths of American History. Also, click on that Shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com, get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Click on that Support tab at brianmcclanahan.com, throw a few pennies my way. Go to anchor.fm for The Brian McClanahan Show. You can be a supporter there. All kinds of great ways to support the show. Learn True History, T-R-U-E. It's a great affiliate link for the Tom Woods Liberty Classroom, where I teach there as well. I mean, all kinds of great ways. Again, send your show requests. This is going to be a listener-generated episode today. Rate the podcast where you get your podcast. Let people know you're listening to it on social media. That's how we turn this thing around. So let's talk about the episode, the topic of the day, and it is the Lewis Powell Memo from 1971. So we're at the 50th anniversary of that. This is a listener sent this to me. Hey, would you talk about the Powell Memo? It's 50 years old, and... The Powell Memo is often cited as the reason we saw the growth of conservative think tanks in the Chamber of Commerce in the 1970s and 80s, places like Heritage Foundation and others, that there was this tremendous surge of money going to think tanks and outside educational organizations because the universities and other areas were seen as corrupt. We had to focus on something else to do something else to try to get Americans educated about the American tradition, the founding fathers, uh, you know, take your pick, American economy, free enterprise, all of these things. And so we have a number of think tanks today, some libertarian, some conservative, and of course you've got liberal think tanks. They're not as prominent because they control all the establishment stuff anyways. They don't need a think tank. They have universities, right? So the, the conservative think tanks are kind of the they were designed to be, in many ways, the hedge schools, so to speak. These side institutions, these extra-legal institutions that would allow Americans to get a more robust understanding of the American tradition from a different perspective. They were going to create that other side of it. The Abbeville Institute is one of these, Mises... I mean, you've got a number of things out there now that I think are really good. The Independent Institute, there's all kinds of things out there, right? And of course, still Heritage, you've got the Claremont Institute, uh, which is, you know, kind of, uh, sort of, I mean, look, they're Straussians, they're, they're a whole other thing, but it's part of it, Hillsdale College. I mean, you've got all of this stuff out there and all these competing voices and all these intellectuals finding homes and places outside of the university. That's the whole point. And the Powell Memo, was a was an important part of that. Now, Lewis Powell wrote this in 1971. He was a future Supreme Court justice, served on the bench for a pretty long period of time. And uh, Powell wrote this 
in response to what he saw as a changing America in 1971. Now, we yesterday we just had an essay from Clyde Wilson from 1982, a decade later, pointing out that uh, the political Puritans at that time, you know, who based their ideology almost exclusively off of people like Henry Ward Beecher, another a religious Puritan who was also a political Puritan, was dangerous. And Powell is pointing this out in 1971, a decade earlier. And of course, we saw Louis Rubin pointing out the real cost of the war was the loss of Jeffersonianism. And I think what Powell's getting at here in 1971 is this loss of real Jeffersonianism in America. Now, Jefferson was on the left in his own time in many ways. He was. He was a reformer in Virginia, but it stopped at Virginia. Jefferson's plan was federalism, and that was what all Americans accepted. Federalism. We're going to take care of our own backyard and take care of our own things, and we can reform in these areas, but it goes no further. At least in the founding period, that was generally recognized as being the just thing to do. If you go back and look at the ratification of the Constitution, which, by the way, part four of that class will be out this week. So you need to be, if you're at McClanahan Academy, you're going to get the best deals on that when it comes out. But regardless, you've got uh, the founding generation interested in real federalism and was brought up. When things were brought up, hey, we can't live in a union with these people. Well, we can. Alexander Hamilton, in fact, sold it on that. You know, we've got all these discordant things. So we created a federal republic that can absorb all these differences. And it only does general things because all these differences, the union's important, but only if we're not going to abuse each other. That was the point. Massachusetts didn't want to be in a union with Southerners, and Southerners didn't want to be in a union with Massachusetts, but it was okay because neither one could control the other. They only were there to help each other if they were invaded and to make sure that there was a free trade zone between these states. That's it. There were going to be some direct taxes, and they only talked about taxes being in time of war. Otherwise, there weren't, government didn't do anything. right? I mean, you, they, this is actually brought up. Well, we're only going to have to have taxes if we're going to have a war. So what happens? Well, we get the war is over. You get these moral crusades, which are a faux moral crusade, which, of course, Clyde Wilson pointed out yesterday. And that becomes the basis of everything. If somebody had an unseemly moral side to them, at least on the acceptable unseemly moral side, which if you held opinions that the left generally disliked, well, then you were persona non grata. And no matter what you said, you're a bad guy. Think about how that's not that's the case today. I mean, if you say if you if, if somebody in history said anything about race, class, or gender that is not in line with the modern left, then it doesn't matter if they said everything else they said was great. Well, they're they're no good. But there are some things the left doesn't care about. And as Clyde pointed out, that was Beecher and promiscuity and all these other things. They don't care about any of that. So if you do that, you're good as long as you have the proper views on race, class, and gender. And you could be a tyrant. You could be a mass murderer. You could be Che Guevara, and you're still okay, as long as you have the proper views on race, class, and gender. This is how stupid the American left really is. And I think Americans are, I mean, my hope is that Americans will start to see this stuff. They're weak. Their, their positions are stupid. Their positions are intellectually weak. And so... When and, and when you get the Babylon Bee making fun of this stuff down, I mean, this is the great thing about the Babylon Bee. They had a headline the other day, scientists worry that in a few years they will run out of things to call racist, right? I mean, because this is what it naturally devolves to. 
everything is racist. And so if Americans get to that point, it's like, well, then who the heck cares anymore? They're going to lose all their intellectual punch. It's not intellectual anyways, but they're going to lose all their ammunition. And what's going to be left is the real issues in American society, which are not those. It's going to be inflation and spending and war. These are the real issues in American society. The left is hoping they can import enough people into America so that they can just overwhelm the other side politically and that it never has to happen that way. I mean, this is why people aren't paying attention to the stupid farce of a trial, the January 6th trial. Nobody pays attention to this. Nobody's paying attention to the congressional hearings on this. They are worried about people being incarcerated for months now without being brought to trial. That's starting to come up. It's a, it is a travesty what's going on. Why can they do that? Because habeas corpus is, of course, suspended for, quote-unquote, domestic terrorists. It doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right or you're, I mean, foreigner. It doesn't matter. It's suspended. This is why when you look at the founding generation, they talked about habeas corpus quite a lot. That was important. Only suspended in emergencies. I don't know if there's an emergency right now. I don't, I don't see it. But the left certainly does. They live in this really weird world where, to them, I mean, this is visions. They have all these puritanical visions. They are concerned about everything. Concerned is one of the words they use. Disturbed, another one. So uh, I want to talk about this Powell memo because he brings up in 1971 what's happening. And he says, we need to create some type of side organizations that can confront this stuff. And he thought the Chamber of Commerce could do it, which I think was the bad, bad method, bad way to go, because the Chamber of Commerce is only interested in making money. They don't really care about anything else. And so they're going to eventually adopt whatever liberal thing they need to adopt, a progressive idea, whatever it is, to ensure that they don't get sued and they make money. I mean, this is what it comes down to. Chamber of Commerce Republicans are like Mitt Romney. This is what they are. So he wrote this August 23rd, 1971. Uh, and it was submitted as a memorandum, a confidential memorandum, attack on the, on the American free enterprise system. Lewis Powell, future Supreme Court justice, said, quote, No thoughtful person can question that the American economic system is under broad attack. This varies in scope, intensity, and the techniques employed, and the level of visibility. There have always been some who opposed the American system and preferred socialism or some form of statism, communism or fascism. Also, there has always been the critics of the system whose criticism has been wholesome and constructive so long as the objective was to improve rather than to subvert or destroy. But what now concerns us is quite new in the history of America. We are not dealing with sporadic or isolated attacks from a relatively few extremists or even from the, from the minority socialist cadre. Rather, the assault on the American enterprise system is broadly based and consistently pursued. It is gaining momentum and converts. And this is true. I mean, look, he said this in 1971, 50 years ago. We're far beyond this now. The interesting thing about this is that he says, well, I mean, there's, first of all, Powell was from Virginia, right? He, he's from Virginia, and he was well aware of Southerners who had opposed the American economic system for a variety of reasons. I mean, this is the John Taylor of Caroline. This is, uh, this is the, uh, the Jeffersonian attack on finance capital, infusion of capital and bit in government and these type of things. I mean, that stuff was there, right? But he is certainly aware that things have changed. And where is it coming from? This is the important part. He says, sources of the attack. The sources are varied and diffused. 
They include, not unexpectedly, the communists, new leftists, and other revolutionaries who would destroy the entire system, both political and economic. These extremists on the left are far more numerous, better financed, and increasingly more, are more welcomed and encouraged by other elements of society than ever before in our history. I mean, think about that now. You've got people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders and others, Elizabeth Warren. Warren, not so much, but certainly Sanders and Cortez, who have said they're, open, they're openly they're socialists. I mean, they're sitting in the Congress. They think this is fine. I remember years ago, I actually was debating at some leftists online, one of whom uh, has made a name for himself in not a way he wanted uh, because he said some things that got him into hot water on the mainstream media. But I said, well, you guys are, I mean, what you're saying here, I just call you a bunch of socialists. Oh my gosh, ho, 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 who cares? We're socialists. I mean, they, they didn't care anymore. They're open about it. They just didn't care. To them, that's not a big deal. He says, but they remain a small minority and are not yet the principal cause of concern. They are now because they're not, I mean, they're still a minority, I would say, but they are mainstream. The most disquieting voices joining the chorus of criticism come from perfectly respectable elements of society, from the college campuses, the pulpit, the media, the intellectual and literary journals, the arts and sciences, and from politicians. In most of these groups, the movement against the system is participated in only by minorities. Yet, these often are the most articulate, the most vocal, and the most prolific in their writing and speaking. And think about, I mean, so nowadays you do look at coalitions based on race or class or gender alone. I mean, what is it that the squad, when you bring that up, why, does that, why is that group even talked about? Well, because they're all minority women. Right? If this was men, nobody would really care about them. But they're minority women, so the base, their, their sex and their race, and in some cases their religion, is why people pay attention to them. And they know it. And they know it. And they know they can get power out of it. So Powell is pointing out, this is, this is it. I mean, you've got these groups, minority groups, that understand that Americans generally are curious about these things, and they're generally, I mean, most Americans generally tend to, oh, I mean, gosh, you know, that was a, we, we don't like the fact that people have been held down in society. We don't, we, we like the underdogs. We don't like to, to know that people were held back, legally held back through government activity. We don't want to know that. We don't like to know that. We do know that. So we, we root for the underdogs. Okay, yeah, I mean, these people, I mean, they deserve, they deserve to be treated as equal citizens, full citizens of society, this tiny thing. So this is what Americans generally think. And so people will capitalize on that. Moreover, much of the media, for varying motives and varying degrees, either voluntarily accords unique publicity to these attackers, or at least allows them to exploit the media for their purposes. This is true. Again, why? I just mentioned why. Why are they doing it? Well, because it's unique. Something different supposedly. This is especially true for television, which now plays such a predominant role in shaping the thinking, attitudes, and emotions of our people. One of the bewildering paradoxes of our time is the extent to which the enterprise system tolerates, if not participates, in its own destruction. I mean, look at what television and television shows and movies, and they, they really try to push an agenda. Even when it's not welcomed by Americans, they push agendas. They push social issues, they push it all the time. They're always pushing the envelope because they need to get more sensational, more sensational, so people, and then they numb people to things and they make it think it's normal. 
The campuses from which much of the criticism emanates are supported by tax funds generated largely from American business and contributions from capital funds controlled or generated by American business. The boards of trustees of our universities overwhelmingly are composed of men and women who are leaders in the system. Most of the media, including the national TV systems, are owned and theoretically controlled by corporations which depend upon profits and the enterprise system to survive. Now, this is what Powell doesn't understand. There's money in being woke. Now, it was thought that if, uh, if, you, didn't, if, if you went woke, you would go broke. But in fact, the opposite has shown to be true. Go woke or go broke for many corporations. They're behind it because they think this is how they make money. And I'll give you an example. Colin Kaepernick uh, comes out as a Nike spokesman. A lot of conservatives thought that was it for Nike. Nike profits soared. Nike profits soared. So when the Georgia voter law was changed, or when the legislature passed it, and Coca-Cola and Major League Baseball and all these other Delta Airlines, all these other groups came out against it, the idea was that somehow this was going to I mean, backfire them spectacularly, and it didn't. Major League Baseball moves the All-Star game to Colorado, and nothing really happens. Georgia's, ah, okay, whatever. Uh, Coca-Cola comes out. The chairman of Coca-Cola, who's not even an American, comes out and criticizes the law. Coca-Cola profits don't go down. They don't go down at all. People still go out and run by Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola products. Because most Americans just don't care. Now, activists on the left, they do. And they will go out. I mean, they, they try to use economic coercion all the time. Now, in some cases, like when Chick-fil-A comes under attack, people will go out and buy more Chick-fil-A. Uh, but for the most part, conservatives just don't care. And they don't care enough to boycott things, even when these companies and other things are really working to undermine their own best interests. And some of that is because these things are so established in society. How do you avoid it? How do you avoid, how do you really avoid Amazon in many different ways? You can't. You almost can't nowadays. Or Walmart. You can shop at other places, certainly. If you want to save money, you go to Walmart and buy some things. How do you avoid the big companies? It's really hard to do. I mean, there's ways you can do it, but it's increasingly harder and harder. So this is a question that you know Powell is talking about. Well, these people are undermining their own authority. No, they're not. They and Because you've got leftists in corporations, too. You see, corporations, this is the important part about this, and I think that's missing all of this. Corporations are naturally establishment left. They're not, I mean, I think that you would say, well, they're establishment right because they're conservative business. Business is not necessarily right. It can be to the left as well in terms of a social agenda because money is green and they just want to make money. They don't really care how it comes. They just want to make money. Now, you could say they're against taxes and these kinds of, is that, is that conservatism, though? Is it being against taxes, is that the only thing that makes you conservative? Because they certainly love big government. It helps them. Big government helps corporations when that big government is behind corporations. This is Hamiltonianism. They love it. They're not against big government. Tone of the attack. This memorandum is not to place the document in detail, the tone character, or intensity of the attack. The following quotations will suffice to give one a general idea. William Kunstler, warmly, welcome, warmly welcomed on the campuses and listed in a recent student poll as the American lawyer most admired, incites audiences as follows. 
You must learn to fight in the streets, to revolt, to shoot guns. We will learn to do all the things that property owners fear. The new leftists who heard, who heed Kunstler's advice increasingly are beginning to act, not just against military recruiting offices and manufacturers or munitions, uh, of munitions, but against a variety of businesses. Since February 1970, branches of Bank America have been attacked 39 times, 22 times with explosive devices, and 17 times with firebombs or by arsonists. So, what did Maxine Waters say? We're going to take it to the streets. We're going to we're going to get in their faces. We're going to do this. This is this is right out of the 1960s and early 70s playbook. What we're seeing now is a rehash. We've got cosplay of the 60s going on. I've said it. You've got people that are cosplaying the 1960s because they just got to be part of some social movement right now. And so we shall overcome. We shall overcome what? When was, I mean, when were people denied the ability to vote like they were in the 1960s? The last time I saw, last time I looked out on the TV, I didn't see any people being blasted with water cannons or attacked with dogs. Unless they were out rioting, but no peaceful demonstrators. Now, people will say, what about those people in the park in, in Washington, D.C.? They were tear gassed. That was actually the D.C. police that did that. Not on Trump's direction, but the D.C. police did it. The left. The left did it, <laughs> which is the funniest part of it. Um, so certainly, uh, you know, peaceful protesters, I mean, the police are bending over backwards now to appease these leftists because they don't want to be called all kinds of names and say they're doing things to hurt peaceful protests. And they're, of course, attacking those on the right as being you know, problematic. These people are violent, even though it's not the case. Get in their face. Do what you, be violent. And no one's stopping them anymore, except if you're on the right. Then you're getting stopped. But if you're on the left, the, the memo has gone out. The police won't stop you if you're on the left from being violent. They're just not going to do it. We see it in Portland. Weeks and weeks and weeks of violence. And very little is done to crack down on it. Very little. This comes from the fact that Americans have been desensitized to leftist violence. In fact, they think it's all justified. Because of popular media, because of the universities, because of all of this stuff. So the Powell memo is right on here. And he gives you a number of, of uh, cases where uh, the left is inciting this stuff. He says, although new left spokesmen are succeeding in radicalizing thousands of the young, the greater cause for concern is the hostility of respectable liberals and social reformers. It is the sum total of their views and influence which could indeed fatally weaken or destroy the system. A chilling description of what is being taught on many of our campuses was written by Stuart Alslop, or Alsop, excuse me. Yale, like every other major college, is graduating scores of bright young men who are practitioners of the politics of despair. These young men despise the American political and economic system. Their minds seem to be wholly closed. They live not by rational discussion, but by mindless slogans. This is 1971. Think about what's happened now. This is exactly right. The 1619 Project is the politics of despair. It's America's evil. Everything is bad in America, and it's all slogans and platitudes and chants. Slavery, racism, hate, capitalism. Capitalism is bad. All this is bad. All these things are bad. This is what the universities are teaching. This is 1971. A visiting professor from England at Rockford College gave a series of lectures entitled 
the ideological war against Western society, in which he documents the extent to which members of the intellectual community are waging ideological warfare against the enterprise system and the values of Western society. In a forward to these lectures, famed Dr. Milton Friedman of Chicago warned, it is crystal clear that the foundations of our free society are under wide-ranging and powerful attack, not by communists or any other conspiracy, but by misguided individuals parroting one another and unwittingly, unwittingly serving ends they would never intentionally promote. Right. So, I mean, it's the establishment that's doing this. And you look at, I mean, I'll give you an example. Joe Biden runs out and says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal, right? So he changes the line of the declaration. Well, you know who else said that? Elizabeth Cady Stanton and the uh, Declaration of Sentiments in 1848. It's the exact line that she used. And it's subtle, but it's what's happening. That was a radical leftist piece. But you see, it happens. You just change the language a little bit and everything changes. Perhaps the single most effective antagonist of American business is Ralph Nader, who thinks largely, thanks largely to the media, has become a legend in his own time and an idol of millions of Americans. A recent article in Fortune speaks of Nader as follows. The passion that rules in him, and he is a passionate man, is aimed at smashing utterly the target of his hatred, which is corporate power. He thinks and says quite bluntly that a great many corporate executives belong in prison for defrauding the consumer with shoddy merchandise, poisoning the food supply with chemical additives, and willfully manufacturing unsafe products that will maim or kill the buyer. He emphasizes that he is not just talking about fly-by-night hucksters, but the top management of blue-chip businesses. Now, is, Rader, is Nader correct about a lot of this? Certainly. His attack was on corporations. Corporations have never really been, though, conservative. It was thought they were, but they never really were conservative. They were always on the left, and this is kind of a Jeffersonian attack on corporate identity. Nader um, had some valuable things to say about corporate society. And this is all true, right? I mean, this was all being done. We know that large corporations, which in many cases have government contracts and other things, are doing some of this stuff. So Powell is fearing the attack on business and society from the left, and he's misguided in some of it. I will say that. A frontal assault was made on our government, our system of justice, and the free enterprise system by Yale professor Charles Reich in his widely published book, The, Greeting, the Greening of America, published last winter. The foregoing references illustrate the broad shotgun attack on the system itself. There are countless examples of rifle shots which undermine confidence and confuse the public. Favorite current targets are proposals for tax incentives through changes in depreciation rates and investment credits. They're usually described in the media as tax breaks, loopholes, or tax benefits for the benefit of business. As viewed by columnists in the Post, such tax measures would benefit only the rich, the owners of big companies. And so he's saying some of this stuff, some of this leftist attack is being promoted because you have these uh, campuses which are, which are certainly engaged in this. And so the rest of this piece, he gets into the, the campuses and what's happening at colleges. But he says, you know, what can be done on the campus? So um, he tries to emphasize the Chamber of Congress, uh, Commerce, Chamber of Congress, Chamber of Commerce needs to create speakers bureaus and, and speakers themselves and tech, evaluate textbooks and push for equal time on campus and 
uh, get faculties more interested in balance, having conservative and liberal. It's even gotten worse since 1971, so none of this happened. Business graduate schools and secondary education. Uh, and, of course, creating things outside of the mainstream academy, which I think is what ultimately happened, but uh, also focusing on things like television and media to try to turn this around. Go to scholarly journals and books and pamphlets and paid advertisements and get involved in politics. But I want to talk about this in one particular way. Again, this is 1971, and I think Powell was certainly correct that there was a real push beginning in the 1960s to undermine traditional American society. And Powell, being from Virginia, was had his thumb almost on the real problem. The real problem, though, was always this Hamiltonian insistence on fusion of government and finance capital. What the left was wanting to do, though, what Nader wanted to do, was use more government to regulate these corporations, when in reality corporations were donating almost equally to the left and the right, and the government was either looking the other way or already involved in regulating or doing things to promote the corporations. I mean, all of this was going on. But certainly there was a structural problem in society, and it's being fostered in part, in large part, by education. The politics of despair. America is bad. Certain parts of America are bad. And if you don't have the correct views on race, class, gender, then you are certainly, in history, then you are certainly not allowed to be uh, listened to or talked about if you're a historical figure. We all know that, I mean, uh, no one in modern society holds the same views as, say, George Washington did, that's prominent in modern society, holds the same views as George Washington did on race or Abraham Lincoln or, I mean, we're just taking, or Jefferson Davis or whoever. But the fact is that if you want to talk, John C. Calhoun, if you want to talk about these people, well, then you always have to qualify it. Well, I know he's this. Why? This is playing the left's game. Do not play that game. Simply say, John C. Calhoun said great things. Does he have views that we don't hold today? Or did he have views? Absolutely. But he said great things. Same thing with George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. Alexander Hamilton said very racist things, according to how we think about race in modern society. He did. But that's often overlooked because the left likes a lot of his views on other things, right? If he had the right views on slavery, then everything else is okay. You see, they take they 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 narrowly put the game in a in a very narrow field. If you don't have the correct views about slavery and race, well, then you're no good in American history. Doesn't matter what else you said. And so this Powell memo is interesting, I think, because it did lead to the growth of think tanks and other things. Um, and, uh, I mean, I think that's, that's a, a fantastic part of it. Of course, I can quibble with some of these think tanks and how good they are, but certainly having these outside organizations try to educate Americans has been valuable, uh, at least in, I, in the idea of it overall. But, um, and th the fact that this came from a Supreme Court justice, and he's going to rule in many cases based on this. I mean, he was a very pro-business Supreme Court justice, and so you can find that in this Powell memo that he's going to rule particular ways on that. So anyways, listener-generated episode. I appreciate you sending it over. Um, the talk about college campuses in the 1960s is something worthy of discussion. And we're going to get into that in the last episode of the week and the next one. So I'll see you for the next episode. See you then.